Amen. Amen. Go ahead and grab a seat, but let's, uh, let's stay in that spirit right there where we're talking to Jesus. Let's just continue this. Father, as we come before you, we come before you as a people in desperate need of you, in desperate need of what you're about to do in our lives. As we come before you, God, we surrender and we submit and we ask you to come, Holy Spirit, be upon us. Father in heaven, we just repent. We come before you and ask your forgiveness for our sins. Help us to forgive those who sin against us, Lord. You have what we need, and we need to let you have your way. So as we come before you, God, we thank you and praise you for your presence. We thank you and praise you for what you're about to do. Lord, we've planned. We've made arrangements. None of that means anything if it's not you. And so we pray that if it's not, just come in and wreck it. Come in and be God to us. Come in and overwhelm us. Come in and let your spirit, God, let your spirit have his way here. We thank you and praise you for that in Jesus' blessed and holy name. Amen. Amen. Well, hey, it is good for us to be back. It is good to be back and on my feet and moving around and all those things. And thank you for your prayers. And I'm very excited about this message and what the Lord wants to say to us today. So I want to encourage you, if you've got one of these things, it's called a Bible. Or, on the other hand, if you've got one of those things and it's called a smartphone or anything else, flip it open to your U version and head over to Luke chapter 7. The passage that I want to share with you today is in Luke chapter 7, and it begins, honestly, two stories. There's two stories going on here. Both of them are linked, and, and they're, they're connected in the same way. And I believe that it is a, 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 a very specific and a very, um, it is a word for the moment this morning that we have seen take place, and we've seen what God is doing. So as you go there, I'm going to begin in Luke chapter 7 at verse 1. Okay, and we're going to read about two people that came to a place in their lives where they were in desperate need of God to come by there. The scripture says in, in Luke chapter 7, when Jesus had finished saying these things, so when he'd been getting according to, when he, excuse me, when he'd finished according to Luke's account of, of kind of sharing the teaching from the Sermon on the Mount, again, this is in Luke's account, the scripture goes on to say, when he finished saying all these things in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. There was a centurion servant whom his master valued very highly, and he was sick, and he was about to die. A desperate situation. The centurion heard of Jesus, heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to ask Jesus, asking him to come and heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him. And look what they said about this Roman centurion, this, this man that was in charge of 100 soldiers. Okay, This man deserves to have you do this. Wow, how do you get to the place where you deserve to have God answer your prayer the way you want it answered? How do you get to that place? These people believe the centurion was there. He said, he deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. So Jesus went with them. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to him to say, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I am a man under authority with soldiers under me, and I tell this one, go, and he goes. I say to that one, come, and he comes. And I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him, and turning to the crowd following me, said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. Then the men who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. 
Wow, what an incredible story of a man in a desperate need. Actually, the desperate need was for somebody else. He had compassion for his servant. But Luke goes on. He's writing and he goes on and he says, soon afterward, after Jesus was done doing this for the centurion, Jesus went to a town called Nain. And his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. And he approached the, excuse me, as he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, Don't cry. Then he went up and touched the coffin, and those um, carrying it stood still. And he said, Young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up, began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. They were filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, and they said, God has come to help his people. This news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. And we want to look at that. That the word should spread that God has come to help his people. That when people find themselves in desperate situations, in difficult circumstances, that God has come to help us. And here are two stories of ridiculously desperate circumstances and things going on. Now, honestly, as I look at this story, it takes me back to conversations that I have had with Pastor Janice um, as we're sitting around and we see something difficult going on in somebody's life and we say, how do people who don't have a church family or a close family, how do they handle devastating circumstances or difficult news or you know, painful experiences? How do they do that? How do people go through really tough times when they don't have people to surround them and help shoulder the difficult things that are going on in their lives? It doesn't make sense to us. But we see these um, stories and we see what's going on in each of them. There's a woman who is a widow and who lost her son. So we're talking today about, man, what happens when things go from bad to worse? What happened? You ever been in a, in a situation where things went bad from worse? You know, you know, that proverbial thing where you say, well, it can't get any worse than this. And then it does. When you're crying out and saying, God, how could you let this happen? I don't think we can survive. And then something else happens. When you're down to your last dollar, you've given it, you're staring down the, the, the throat of, of bills that you can't meet, and then all of a sudden the car motor blows up. Now, it doesn't compare to losing a son. I, I believe that. But what about when things get desperate and then all of a sudden it goes crash? What do we do when things go from bad to worse? And I want to look at that today. I really do. In this story, one of them sent to Jesus for help, not because they believed he was the Lord, but just simply because they had heard that he had done some miraculous things and was willing to hope that there was a chance that just maybe he would say it. He didn't want him to come. Just maybe he would say it and his servant would be healed. Somebody that he loved very much, um, he needed uh, healed. One of them had no clue that he was coming, and he just showed up while she was in the process of a funeral procession. You know, you think about this, and Jesus is interacting with this, this soldier up near Capernaum, and uh, he's going to go to his house, and this soldier finds out that Jesus is coming. I'm sure, I'm sure one of the, the elders from the church ran and said, listen, he's coming, he's coming, he's coming. And the soldier said, whoa, 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 I didn't mean for him to come. He's too important to come to my house. I'm not good enough that he should be. Go back and tell him, don't come. I'm not important enough. And so they did. And Jesus is like, wow, now that's some serious faith. You just want me to say the word from, you know, 30 miles out or something. I don't know how far it was. 
and there will be healing, and how incredible would that be? And so when he's done there, they turn, they say, we're going to go to Nain. And Nain is about 30 miles southwest of Capernaum, so it's a good solid day's work. I mean, walk, but don't stop for lunch, okay? Keep walking. Just keep walking. And then when you think you're done, keep walking some more. You'll get there sooner or later, probably not by nightfall. But you're going to get there, and it's going to be okay. And so they walked. And as they walk, and as we read this story, we've got to remember that Luke is writing this letter to Theophilus. You say, what? You didn't say Theophilus in the letter? Go back to Luke 1. 1. When you're reading the book of Luke, you never stop remembering that he's writing it to somebody whose life he's trying to ground in faith in Jesus Christ. And one of the things that he's trying to say is, let me show you, Theophilus, that this man, this prophet, this son of God, Jesus Christ, has power over life and death before, excuse me, before he gets to his resurrection. He has power over life and death. And you can believe this. So let me tell you these two stories. And so you, you start with the one. They're both victories. They're both death-eminent stories. I mean, we're talking desperate, right? Somebody's going to die in each of these stories, or somebody has died in the one story. Yeah, but the woman is desperate in that story. And so put yourself just for a second in the place of the centurion. His servant's dying, and he doesn't know what to do. I have to believe that he's done everything that he possibly can. I just can't believe that he just let the guy get sicker and let get him get sicker, let him get sicker, let him get sicker, let him get sicker. We really don't necessarily know that it's, but I guess, you know, anyway, but get sicker. And then all of a sudden he says, well, we ought to do something. I really don't see that being the story. I see the story where there's a soldier who has servants and, and the servant is getting sick and he's doing everything he possibly can. And somebody says, hey, there's this guy, Jesus, this prophet of Israel. You should send for him. And this guy, in his heart or out loud, I don't know, says, well, we can at least send for him to heal my servant, but he doesn't need to come to my house because I am not worry, uh, worthy of a great man coming to my house. I'm not worthy. And so he sends, and check this out, he sends the elders of the synagogue. He's not Jewish, he's a pagan. When you become a, a Roman soldier, when you become a Roman citizen, you have to, um, uh, you have to proclaim Caesar as God. That's what, that's what you have to do. They're, Caesar is God to Roman people back then. And so you have to say, hail, Ro, uh, hail Caesar, he's God. And so that puts you in a pagan community. See? So we recognize that he's a pagan, but there might be you know, some of this, you know, I'm kind of watching these Jews and they're worshiping God and they say this, so I'm going to lean that way a little bit. But at least enough that, that he gives them favor and he doesn't just give them favor, he builds them a church with his own money. He builds them a church. They're like, Jesus, you got to come. He built us a church. How do you get worthy enough that somebody says of you, this person is worthy to have you come and do this for them? I don't know. But you've got this story, and this is what's going on. And so the, the centurion sends leaders in the church. He's taking his last shot. It's ironic because we would say, we would say, man, he's throwing a... Hail Mary! Ironic because that's Jesus' mom we're talking about when we say that. He's throwing a Hail Mary. Why is it that we always wait to the end and say, well, let's try Jesus then? We're going to try doctors. And listen, bless doctors. I am so thankful for a brand new hip. I am wicked thankful. Wicked thankful for a brand new hip, five and a half weeks, and I'm up here running around on the stage. And I promise you, it does not hurt. I'm thankful for doctors. But I also promise you this, I prayed for months and months and months and months and months 
and finally said, I'm going to the doctor. I didn't like uh, say, okay, uh, I tried the doctors. It didn't work. All right, we'll pray to Jesus then. We got to get that right. Pray first and then go see the doctor. I'm not saying lose your brain, okay? Pray and ask God to direct you to a doctor if he wants to do that. I would like to see the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ raising people from the dead today. I want that desperately. But go see the doctor. And if God heals you in the process, get the x-ray anyway so you can come back and we can put it up here, okay? Because we're going to testify. And that's what's going on here. Centurion throws a Hail Mary. How serious are your prayers? How serious are your prayers to God? So, well, I'm pretty serious. I asked God the other day, could he give me one of them sport Camrys, 2020 edition with the shifter? And I, you know, I laid it all out. I, you know, I want the LT3 interior. And I, I, okay, okay, that's kind of like when we start praying wrong. Ask God for the Camry, but let's just get down to it. What you're asking for is a car so that you can get around, right? If he gives you a 1974 Volkswagen Rabbit and it runs, drive it. I'm just saying, some of you know what a rabbit is, right? It's like the, the old Chevette for Chevy. Well, that, the Volkswagen had a rabbit, okay? And thank God that it moves forward and it can get you places. Sometimes we, we don't know how to pray because we get so specific because we want things and not results. And Jesus came to bring us some results, not that he does not care about your things, but he came to give us results, and I want to encourage you in that. So that's what's going on. Um, I, I, was, I shared a devotional this week, and the idea was, you know, Jesus tells a story that when we go to God, we do this. We knock on God's door. And we knock on God's door, and we knock on God's door, and we knock on God's door. And Jesus is, is in essence saying, you knock on God's door until God is so sick and tired of hearing your prayers that he comes down, opens the door, and says, what do you want? <laughs> you know what I mean? You ever been there? You're driving your kids to school to that, you know, pickup line or drop-off line or whatever those lines are you people are doing nowadays. We put them on the bus, okay? It was a little safer on the bus back in my day, but at the same time, we put them on the bus. Okay, get out the house. Let's go. Um, and so we were preparing them for the, when they turned 18, and we could say, get out the house. Okay, no, but really. So you're driving your kids, and you're like, knock it off, or I'm pulling over. Knock, I'm serious this time. I said, knock it off. What? Or that child that goes, Papa, what? Papa, what? Papa, what? Papa, what? What? I forgot. You know, you know how, because you scared him to death. Jesus is saying when you go to God, if you're serious and you want God to answer your prayer, then you knock on that door and you knock on that door and you knock on that door and you knock on that door until God opens it and says, What do you want? You just better want what you're about to say. Because when you say, I want a tiger, and he gives you one, you just remember there's teeth at the other end, and you're probably going to be holding the tail. Remember that when you cry out to God. But I think we need to take our own prayers a little more seriously. I really do. I do think it's okay to cry out to God. I do think it's okay to knock and knock. And when I've been knocking for, I've been knocking on one prayer request for four or five years. And guess what? I'm still knocking. It's a prophetic word that was given to me, not about pennies, just about our church, me personally. And I'm, I got it in writing. And I'm still, I pray and say, God, I'm speaking to this prophetic word. And I am still knocking. I still want to see this come through to your glory, God. I still believe, and I'm not going to let go of it. I am knocking, and I'm going to knock. How serious do you take your own prayers? 
Well, pretty serious, Pastor Joe. Have you ever gathered people together and said, listen, we're going to fast and pray for the next four, four days, five days. Would you fast and pray? You have friends that will do that for you? Fast and pray? Like, that means not eat. If I offer them chewies at the end, they probably will. <laughs> As in a rec Mexican restaurant, not like some candy. Yeah, maybe they will. I don't know, Pastor Joe. Well, how serious do you take it? Because this is the seriousness here. I love this. The synagogue leaders go on his behalf in this century, and he has no faith in Jesus Christ as the Lord of the world. He, but he does have a desperate hope. He has no faith. He's just throwing a Hail Mary, but he has a desperate hope. Maybe this is going to happen. And I like that about him. Second thing is, he's got friends that will help. Do you have friends that will help? When Janice and I heard the Lord um, call me into ministry, and that's a thing you do together, even, even back then when she wasn't so heavily involved, that's still a thing you do together. You don't dare go into ministry by yourself. You, don't, you just don't do it. Get your wife and you pray together. Then you get your friends and you say, will you fast and pray for four days with us? Then you get back together and say, what did you hear the Lord say? And they said that you need to get your tuchus in gear because the Lord's waiting on you. And it's like, okay. This man had friends, and his friends were willing to go to find Jesus. And then he did something that I don't think very many Christian people do. The centurion went all in. This is his hope. This is it right here. I'm sending my friends. I've gone all in with this group of believers, this, you know, God followers, Jewish people, but God followers. I, he went all in. You know, all in is a term. It's a poker term. I don't play poker, but it means you push all your chips to the middle, and this is your last hope. I'm terrible for playing games. My children know, and they laugh at me, and they make fun of me, and they mock me, but God will, he will vindicate me um, to my children. He will come against them one day. But right now, right now, when I play Clue with my kids, and I actually don't play Clue anymore, I don't because they mock me. Um, we'll be playing Clue. We'll have everything set up. And as we're going, one of my kids, and they do this on purpose with, with the games that we play. They just do it because they know what, they flip this switch and Papa's going to do that. Okay, and they say, I know who it is. And, it's, and I'm going all in. I, it's Mrs. Plum in the library with the thing. I don't have a clue, but I'm guessing because I got like a one in a thousand chance I might get it right. One day I'm going to win. It has not happened yet. Not even close. Not even a little bit. But as soon as somebody says, I know who it is, I'm all in. That's it. I went all in with Jesus. Not, not when I first met him, because I just didn't want to go to hell when I first met him. But there came the time that I went all in with Jesus, and I'm just telling you, holy cow, the ride that I am on with you at this point and with what's going on in our lives. My wife and I were just crying yesterday. We just said, enough of this COVID stuff. Let's sit back. Look at what God has done in our lives. Instead of just whining and crying, let's just look at our kids and our grandkids and our dogs and, you know, just look, we got lunch here in front of us. We're here together. We drove around a little bit. It's like, yeah, yeah, let's, let's go all in and see what's going on. Because God wants to do something specific and powerful in you. And Jesus meets this man in his prayer. Now imagine the woman. Now imagine the woman. Her husband dies. This is a widow. She's got a son, but her husband dies. We don't know when he died. We don't know how long she was a widow. What we know is that she was married. She had a husband. They had a son. We don't know how, daughters, we don't know. Because it specifically says a son. She has a son. 
And so this woman's life goes from bad to worse, okay? Bad to worse. So here's this woman. She's got a husband going through life. Life is good. She's happily married, I hope. Um, and they have a baby, and everybody's excited. Back then, because it was a boy, they're more than excited because the family name will carry on. And then on and on we go. And then all of a sudden, her husband dies, and things get bad. Because what's left to her for a job? What's left to her in Jewish culture back 2,000 years ago? What can she do? What can she do for herself? Now, don't think that women, a lot of people will say they're less than anything. Yes and no. If you go to Proverbs 31, it doesn't sell you that kind of a song, does it? Because she so buys land, sells land, makes, I mean, she's doing all kinds of things in Proverbs 31, that Jewish woman is. <laughs> but still, this woman has no husband now. But she puts it in gear. She can control this thing. She's going to do it. She finds another gear, and she's going to press on. And as she's pressing on, her son dies. Wow. He was going to be the head of the family. We don't know how old he was, but we know he was a young man, not a boy. And so now here's, here's husband died, son died. She's got to feed herself. What's open to her for a career? What can she do? What, what small little, you know, house craft can she do and sell on the streets to provide for her herself and her kids if there's if there's daughters bad to worse and here comes jesus and he's marching in he has a big crowd he has his disciples and scripture says in a crowd with him and as he's headed toward nain this woman is suffering and in her pain she comes out of the gate and she has her crowd with her Two crowds, two entourages, and they meet in the middle, and here comes this guy, and they're probably holding him up on what's called a buyer, where his coffin is, or, or him, he's wrapped up, and, and Jesus walks up, and, and I love this, I love this. Jesus walks right up, and, she, and, and he says, don't cry. How would you feel if you're at your son's funeral, and, and somebody that you've never met before prophet clearly somebody with a following just walked up to you and just said hey hey whoa 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 don't cry don't cry wouldn't you feel like shut up and get out of the room a couple of years ago in this church a 29 year old mother of two passed away got sick on saturday died of septicemia on sunday by two o'clock in the afternoon on sunday when they called me um, well, they called me before that. I walked into the hospital, and there was 30 people in the waiting room from her extended family. And they were crying. They were worried. They were praying. I prayed with them. And then I went zipping into her hospital room where there was three or four or five different medical people in there. And as I was walking in, this doctor was walking out, and I asked her, I said, listen, what am I getting ready to walk into? I need to know. I'm her pastor. I, I, I just need to know what to do. And she said, she is actively in the process of dying. She might not be alive when you get there. And the bed was like eight feet away from me. I walked up to the bed. She was still breathing. I invited the family that was in there, immediate, immediate husband and, and mom. And we prayed. And as we were praying, she died. Right there as we prayed. Bad to worse. Two children, little boys, bad to worse. I, 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 was, I was brokenhearted, and I went back out in the other room, and I thought, what am I going to do? And one of the family looked up and said, she died, didn't she? And I said, yes, can we please move into this room over here? Let's all go in there. And they all, we went in there, but they were wailing. Eastern Kentucky wailing. I'm not saying that to be funny. Eastern Kentucky wailing. I mean, crying out, screaming, wailing. And we were, we were in a room, and then they were wailing, and I was just sitting in the corner with my Bible, praying for them and saying, Lord, let's just give them some time. And, and a clergy walked in. 
and he walked in and he assessed the situation. You know what he said? He put his hands up and he said, stop crying! Like that. That's how he said it. And he caught my attention and I looked over at him by the door. He said, I have some things to share with you, but I need you to stop crying. He was like he was mad at him. And he opened up his Bible and he said, I'm going to let Pastor Joe go first. No, I'm going to let your pastor, he didn't know my name, I'm going to let your pastor go first, and then I have some important things to say. I'm sure he has something important to say. We need you to listen to us. That's how he was talking to him. And I looked at him for a second. I said, I'll go first. He said, yeah. No kidding. I said, don't listen to that man. And I wasn't trying to be funny. I said, do not listen to that man. Cry. You just lost your daughter. You just lost your granddaughter. You just lost your daughter-in-law. You just lost your niece. You just lost the mother of your grandchildren. Weep and cry. He left. We worked it out later. Who walks up to people in the middle of grief and says, don't cry? Wow. Well, these were the words of a man, and his name was Jesus. But they are the power of God in heaven, Emmanuel. The man says, don't cry, because the God has the power. The man says, don't cry, because the power that is at his disposal is about to interact with your circumstance. Jesus can say, don't cry, because Jesus can do something about it. He knows that he can give life back. He said in John chapter 5, for just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son gives life to whom whoever he is pleased to give it. He knew he had the power to give back life in both of these circumstances. In one it had not left yet. In one, Listen, I don't know why God does and doesn't do what God doesn't, doesn't do. I don't know. I am not sure, but I do believe God, and I do believe in obedience, and I do believe in doing what he says, and I do believe in stepping into it, and I do believe the word, and I do believe if there's confusion, it's not the word, it's, it's the pastor trying to understand it. And so we lay hold of this word and we say, yes, God, yes. So when Jesus says, don't cry, it's because he's about to break out on the situation so he can claim the glory through the situation so you can be strengthened by the situation. When God says, don't cry, When that thing inside of you starts to say, whoa, I don't know what's going on, but something tells me this is going to be all right. Pastor Janice and I were talking yesterday, and I said, I don't know what the deal is, but the Holy Spirit's been telling me for the last couple of days, man, something's coming. And listen, not politics, not politics, that a move of the Spirit is about to take place, and it's going to happen here that the Lord wants to break out here, that the Lord wants to do something here, that the Lord wants to affect and infect your personal life. And something inside of me starts getting a little bit of giddy, okay? Because I hear the Lord say, don't cry. Don't cry, Joe. Stop your whining. Don't cry. Because he's about to break out on the situation so that he can claim glory through the situation so that you can be strengthened by the situation. 
You're frustrated with what's going on in the world. You're mad about what's going on in the world. You're upset about what's going on in the world. Great. Then, then turn around and focus back on Jesus and say, Lord, I need you to refocus me because this has to be about you and you're going to grow me through this situation. And let's see what God does. Can you see what's going on here? People die. Listen to me. You can't escape that. It is not possible. Okay? Enoch didn't. But we're going to see what God does with that. Lazarus had to die twice. This kid? Great. Now he's got to die again. I don't know what the process was that killed him. But if it wasn't fun, not that it ever is, I can't imagine him saying, Mom, really? i got to do this again for you. But can you imagine the noise that was made because Jesus raised him from the dead? Listen to me. This is a word that I'm supposed to give to you today. Today, you need a miracle. I am supposed to say that. And that's what this is supposed to be about. Today, you need a miracle. Jesus cares about the pain in your life. You don't think he does. You're carrying your son out. He's died. Your hope, your, your last straw, your husband died. Now you've got your last straw, your son. Then your son dies. Your life has gone from bad to worse. Your marriage is falling apart. Your finances, the Wall Street has crashed. And suddenly all this money that you had set up for retirement is gone. You were putting your hope there. And the Lord said, I'm going to let it happen. And then suddenly it's gone. And life is gone from bad to worse. And you're saying, God, how can you let this happen to me? Because he can say, don't cry because he's about to do something and I don't know what about means to you for most of us it means drive through let's go God but like I said I've been praying for three years on that prophetic word and I'm going to keep knocking on the door because I believe that God is about to do something I need you to understand that God cares about the pain that you went through that you've experienced or that you're looking down the barrel of. He cares. He didn't even talk to the woman from Nain who came out of the gate. He looked and he saw her and his heart went out to her. That's what brought Jesus to, he to earth. He looked and saw us and his heart came out to us and he came down here. So we see this woman that wasn't looking for Jesus, his heart goes out. And we know that he's there. You're in this room because God is trying to do something in your life. Let me share a, a, like a specific, even more specific word. Stop fighting God. If God is trying to remove something from your life and you're trying to hang on to it, stop fighting God. He is trying to answer your prayer. He's trying to move in your life. He's trying to do something. God is trying to get you into his will. He's not trying to get into your will. God is trying to say, come follow me, and in the midst of it all, you've got something that's going crash, and it is painful, and it hurts, and you're standing in your living room watching this going, how can you know this? Because God, and he wants to do something about it, but you're fighting him. Because you think that you need to control it. Because somehow you think that you are in charge and it's going to hurt if you let it go. And maybe God doesn't know what he's going to do. This is what it really comes down to. Maybe God's not going to do what I want him to do. There's a good chance that he won't because he's trying to do what's best for you and you're trying to do what you want. He's trying to get you to let go of something and you're hanging on to something. 
And you think that you can control it if you just work harder. And all you're going to do is work harder against God. You've got to let it go. You're down here and God is trying to do something because he's looking at you and he cares about the pain that is in your life. For God so loved the world. That's you and me. That's our neighbors. It's the Democrats, the Republicans, the Libertarians. It's any other ends in this, in this nation. And we got to stop that. He cares about the Canadians? Seriously. He cares about the Russians. He cares about the Afghanis. He cares about all the nations on the continent of Africa. He cares about them. And we've got to get a hold of that. Next thing is that sometimes we're down to our last and most desperate hope, and that is Jesus. The writer of Psalm 43 said, you are God who is my stronghold. Yes. But then we keep reading, don't we? Why have you rejected me? Because when things go from bad to worse, that's what we say. God's rejected us. But God is saying, don't cry. And we're saying, don't cry. It hurts. I'm going to cry. And God is saying, but don't cry. I'm about to interact with your situation. Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by my enemy? Send me your light and your faithful care. That's what he says to, the, to God. Send me your light and your faithful care. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy mountain, to the place where you dwell. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my joy and my delight, and I will praise you with the lyre. That means guitar. And I will, because you're, oh God, my God. When you find yourself in a situation where things are starting to swing from bad to worse, when you walked in, you're like, wow, I really screwed up at work, but I need to sit down, and I know I'm going to get a talking to from God, and, and excuse me, from my boss, and, and my boss sets me down and says, I'm not going to give you a talking to, I'm going to let you go. I've got I've to fire you, and you're like, how can things go from bad to worse? It's because God is doing something. He's going to show up, and you might not be looking for him, and I'm just telling you, Working harder to cling to something that God is trying to take away from you is only going to get you hurt. Because he's going to take it away because he wants what's best for you. You want what you want. He wants what's best for you. The last thing that I want to share with you before we go into a time of prayer is this. Your end, your end, your ending is just the Lord's beginning. How many times in Scripture have we seen the Bible open up to where people came to the end of themselves and realized that if they would just stop fighting God, God would begin something that they cannot fathom. Moses and the Israelites were being pursued by Pharaoh's army. They were about to be overtaken. They'd cross through the Red Sea, and they began to whine and complain because they thought they knew in their hearts they were about to die. It's, it's estimated 1.6 million people left is, uh, Egypt. 1.6 million people. How big does the army have to be to scare 1.6 million people? But they're looking across where they just came through, and they're afraid that they're going to die. What is it that you're looking at this morning that's going from bad to worse and it doesn't make any sense. It's like, where did this come from? God, if I don't do something, stop. And listen to the words of Moses. When the people began to cry out, Moses answered the people and he said, don't be afraid. 
This is what the Lord says. Don't be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. Listen to me. You decide what bad to worse is and call it an Egyptian because the Egyptians you see today, you will never see again if you put them in the Lord's hands and then live your life trusting the Lord. Put them in the Lord's hands. The Lord will fight for you. Here comes the hard part. You only need to be still. No, I don't. I got to do this and I got to do this and I got to call that and I got to buy that and I got to go do this. You only need to be still. For the last five and a half weeks of my life, that has been like a fork in my eye. I cannot sit still. Lord said, sit on the couch. Don't get up. Don't move your leg. And my wife has been amazing about it. My PT said, slow down. You're way ahead of your healing, but don't rush it anyway. Because we don't know. I do. Jesus. But we get to that place where we have to sit still and we just can't hardly do it. There comes a time in your life where it's going to be important for you to go into your room and shut the door. Open up your Bible and lay it on your bed and don't even read it if you don't want to. But sit before God and stop talking. But we've got a couple of minutes for God in the morning and we don't understand why God doesn't answer our prayer. And God is saying, you just need to be still. And it's like, man, I don't have time to be still. My world is falling apart. It's going from bad to worse. And God is saying, yeah, I know, no. Be still, and I'm going to take care of it. We're like, I know, but I got to keep going, and you can take care of it because I got to do my part. God is saying, No. Sit still and watch what I do because your ending is just God's thing. Sometimes we are in our own way. We really are. We are the ones making it hard. Sometimes we need to give up trying to be the fixer. You don't control anything in all reality. You think you do, but you don't. You're not in charge. Not at the end of the day. We need to realize we're not in control and we need to humble ourselves and come to Jesus and trust him. We don't trust him it'll go the way we want. We trust him that he'll be God and that he wants what's best for us end of the day. That's what he wants. In the book of Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says, which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? And if he asks for a fish, will you give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and Today, I want to encourage you to ask God for your miracle. Today, I want you to know it is okay to say, God, I need a miracle. And let it be God. Let it be your Father. Let Him do it. But be still and quit fighting Him. You've got to stop fighting Him because He's trying to answer you. You've got to give Him a shot. 
We've done all kinds of things about how we're going to pray for each other. But this is what's going to happen this morning. So if you're on the prayer team and you actually exited the building, but I see you right there, so we're good. Okay. If you need your miracle today, could you do me a favor and stand up? We're not going to close our eyes. I don't believe in that. It's not in the Bible. If you need your miracle today, there you go. Okay. Hold on. Don't rush to her just yet. Okay, that's good. Hold still. like, yeah, Pastor Joe, today I need a miracle. I really do. Okay. Anybody else? I don't want you to miss out. Man, if we get together with a spiritual God, something spiritual should happen, shouldn't it? I think it should. Yeah, it'll look a little freaky maybe, but who cares? If he does what he wants to do and people are made better. Yeah. I need God to intervene. Got it. This is what I want you to do. I'm six foot two. Okay? Don't get much closer to people than I am tall, please. But those of you that are comfortable, actually all of you stand up. All of you stand up. Look around, see the people that were there. If there are people that were standing by you that you're aware of, listen to me, this is what Christian people do. We pray for people. I want you to go near them have to touch them. I just want you to go near them. If you're still being super, super careful, I want you to turn around and do this towards them. So here, 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 here. These are people that Jesus sees the pain that they're going through, and he wants to meet them even though they didn't expect that today. And we want to pray for them. So that's what we want to do. You don't have to be afraid of moving around in here. It's okay. But we're going to pray. Listen to me. It's okay to pray. We're going to pray out loud. Oh, no. Listen, everybody will be praying. Nobody will know if you're a good prayer or not. So it doesn't matter. (laughs) But let me let you in on a, a secret. You're a good prayer. Because you're just talking to God like you. And that's all he wants. So that's what we're going to do. So we're going to pray. And I want you to put your hand toward people. I want you to go near these people. I want you to keep, you know, be careful. I don't want anybody to feel like, you know, Pastor Joe, what are you doing in my life? Okay, but we love you. We want to pray for you, so that's what we're going to do. And we're going to pray out loud. We're going to pray out loud, like a little chorus. It's okay. Don't worry about it. It's okay. We can do this. You ready? We're all going to pray at the same time. Father, as we come before you right now, we thank you for what you're doing, Holy Spirit. We thank you for what feels like foolishness, but is obedience, because you've asked us to do this. As we come before you, God, we repent of being in control. We repent, Lord God, of of being afraid that we'll seem foolish. We repent of thinking that we're in charge if we just work harder. And as we come before you right right now, God, for each of these people that has stood up, whether it's a physical problem that they're going through, that, God, it is time for a physical healing, and we are pounding on the door one more time. We're saying, come, Holy Spirit, because we believe even the resurrection power of the blood of Jesus Christ to bring healing on this earth according to your scripture. And we don't know why you do the things you do and don't do the things you don't do, but you have called us to be obedient. You said that the prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And I can tell you, God, it's not our righteousness you were speaking of, but the righteousness of Jesus Christ. 
And so we lay hold of his name because he saved us from hell. And we stand up as members of the kingdom of heaven. And we speak to these people that they might walk. And we speak to these people that they might hear. And we speak to these people that they might see. And we speak to these people that they might not be afraid when the enemy knocks on their door. That we speak against the enemy that comes against them that was spoken of in Psalm 43. And we rebuke them. If you need to just remove them from the earth, God, we rebuke those people that are attacking these people. We would rather they were saved, Lord. We would rather their enemies were saved. But we believe, Lord, and we pray, come help our unbelief. You are doing something, Holy Spirit, and we do not want to be in your way. We do not dictate to you, but we yield to you in this moment. We pray for marriages. We pray for finances. God, we lift up careers that are going from bad to worse. We lift up sick people going from bad to worse. And God, we release healing in the name of Jesus. Receive this glory as these people receive this healing, God. We come before you as ignorant children, but as children nonetheless. And we ask for a move, God, not because we're worthy, but because you are God, because you are God in heaven. And we give you glory for this. I command you to rest easy tonight and to sleep without fear, because the Egyptians that you know about today, you will not see again. Let that be the case, Lord, for your children. We release this upon them in Jesus' blessed and holy name. And I know you out there in your homes and, and wherever you are, you're watching. And I want you to know that we know you're standing up out there. We know that you're crying out for a miracle. And I just want you to know, run to vineyardrichmond.com. Navigate over there. Click the prayer button. Let us pray for you today in this moment. Because you need your prayer as well. And we love you. And we want to be here for you even though we can't always be together. The circumstances don't allow it yet. But it doesn't mean you're not part of this. doesn't mean God doesn't want to touch you because of what he's doing today. doesn't mean God doesn't see you there. It doesn't mean you're alone. In this moment, there is somebody that will pray for you in real time. Give God a chance. What you think is dead is only God's beginning. Let him have his way. 